and insurrectionists were trying to get into his office and he pushed the table against the door to keep them out as they were trying to thwart election results. And as a result of that election, I am now in this White House providing a seat at the table every single day. And there's not a day that goes by that I don't think about that. And I say all the time that 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 was why I came here because I had never heard a president address race in such a pointed manner. Hey, this is Epicenter NYC. We connect our communities to news, information, and each other. I'm your host, Curtis Rouser. Erica Lowe has been the director of African-American media at the White House since May of 2021, months after Joe Biden took office. In her role, she's been a beacon of change and a vital voice. As he transitions into a new senior position at the Office of Public Engagement, we dive into what makes this moment pivotal not only in her career, but in the shaping of a more inclusive and equitable narrative. Today, Erica joins Epicenter publisher Esmitra Kalita in a discussion on why community media has become a focal point in the Biden administration, and how this shift is facilitating a richer, more nuanced and grounded conversation. In community media, there's been this large agreement that we've never seen outreach like this before. And so as you're transitioning, I wanted to get a sense of why that is, right? Why does community media matter to the Biden administration? And then just to get a sense of like how you see the landscape right now. So I'm wondering if we could start with why it matters. I think on day one, you know, the president issued an executive order to ensure that equity is looked at. Well, that everything that this administration does is viewed through the lens of equity. Um, and that, of course, trickled to communications as well. I mean, we we can do equity work till we're blue in the face, but if people don't know about it and people don't have access to the resources, then we're, we're probably not making the progress that we could be making. You know, he was very clear that Black media shine a light on uh, various issues in the community that other publications wouldn't touch. Um, he recognized that then, he recognizes it now. And that is why we have seen, you know, URL and, and other outlets have access to the Oval Office and, you know, have access to various resources and, and, and cabinet members and just the administration in its entirety because there's a clear understanding of who these outlets reach, why they're important, and that the work that we do doesn't matter unless the communities that we're impacting know and understand what it is that we're doing. How did that change your strategy, Erica? Because you've been doing this for a while to center community media versus, you know, the Washington Post and New York Times of the world. How does that change a press strategy? I don't know that the, the strategy necessarily changed. I think it became more inclusive. You know, the Washington Post, the New York Times, those, those papers are still in the White House briefing room. They still have access that they have experienced and enjoyed for decades, and we have now just made sure that other other publications, the community publications, and folks that may not have the resources that some of these, you know, larger entities have, have a more late level playing field to do the work that they do and cover the issues that that are important. I think one area that we've seen among our partners a shift 
is also the diversity of cabinet officials themselves. So for example, an outlet like Native News is going to cover Deb Holland in a way that the Secretary of the Interior just was not covered before. Yeah. I mean, that, that, I think that is a part of the whole of government approach to equity. Like the, on the very first thing he did and, and said was that I am making sure that the federal government reflects the diversity of America. Because if it does not reflect the diversity of America, then it encourages the level of groupthink that historically hasn't always been held. Like he's been very public about that. I don't know that I've ever heard a president speak about race um, and equity in the way that he has. So he has the the most diverse cabinet in history, more women um, in, in, in the cabinet than men. Um, and of course, they bring their lived experience to the role. And that trickles on down. I, I talk about that all the time. You know, I was a White House intern under the Obama administration, um, which was incredible. Um, but you know, I remember walking around then and walking around now, and I have just never seen so many, not just people of color, but I, I think particularly like women of color in decision making, you know, positions of authority from you know, I mean, it started with, you know. Vice President Harris. We've seen Katanji Brown Jackson go through her process. Uh, Shalonda Young, the people, and many we don't even know about. Shalonda Young, who runs a six trillion dollar federal government's budget. Like, name another black woman that that has responsibility and authority over that much money in, in the country or the world. Obviously, Corrine Jean Pierre, the face of of, of the White House, uh, is a black woman. You know, Shawanza Goff, who runs his legislative affairs. Like, there's so many that you see walking in and out of the Oval Office every day. And I don't know that we've ever seen that, but but he values that not because, oh, let me just, you know, it's not it's not a, a matter of symbolism. It's a matter of one, who is the most qualified, but also who can provide a diversity of experiences and thought to ensure that everyone has a seat at the table. I wouldn't be here if that had not been the mandate from day one. So can you tell us a little bit about your background? You mentioned you're a White House intern. What what propels you and this work? And then just give us a taste of what you're doing next. Um, so I, yes, I was a White House intern. I moved here to be a White House intern. Um, and then shortly after I worked on Capitol Hill, I worked for members in very exciting moments in their lives. So Maxine Waters, was transitioning from the minority to the majority. And she was the first black person and first woman to chair the House Financial Services Committee. And I, it was a privilege to be a part of that. And then I worked for Jim Clyburn, who, and this was during the time where he was being referred to as the kingmaker. Um, and, you know, we were working very closely um, with President Biden. And, you know, I, was, I always talk about January 6th because we were in his office during January 6th and I, I it is just not lost on me, um, the symbolism in that we were the staffers pushing the table against the door to keep insurrections out, only to turn around, take a position here to now provide that sa the same seat at the table, at the same table. So it's not lost on me, you know, where we yeah. came that's so powerful. So just to clarify, on January 6th, you were in whose office? I was in Mr. Clyburn's office. In, in, in Clyburn's office. The most senior black man in Congress and insurrectionists were trying to get into his office and he pushed the table against the door to keep them out as they were trying to thwart election results. And as a result of that election, I am now in this White House providing a seat at the table every single day. And there's not a day that goes by that I don't think about that. 
And I say all the time that 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 was why I came here because I had never heard a president address race in such a pointed manner. And it was so clear that everybody should have an invitation to this White House. And the re and I, and I assure you, you know, folks wouldn't be getting the Oval Office or, or getting the access that they get if that was not a feeling or a sentiment expressed building wide. Like I can't do that by myself. This coincides, of course, with the pandemic, with the racial justice protests. And so to your point, you know, you can't talk about equity unless the messaging to the communities that matter are centered as a part of that strategy, right? I just wonder if you could place us a little bit in what you think your legacy has been, because it's been, to your point, January 6th, pandemic recovery. I don't know if you would say we were in a reckoning because there's certainly an assault on DEI once again in the country, but, you know, kind of situate that for me as, as you're, as you're heading out the door. Well, first I'm not heading out the door. I am, I am still very much a member of the Biden-Harris administration staff. I'm staying in the White House, hoping that this role only expands our relationship with community media. So I am now the chief of staff for the Office of Public Engagement. Um, so I guess a way to simplify this is, you know, in, on, in the White House communications team, there's coalitions media. Um, and there's various buckets of Black media, Hispanic media, LGBTQ, you know, coalition. Um, and then we have public engagement that does very similar work, but they do it with the stakeholders as opposed to the media. So public engagement and, and comms work hand in hand. And, and my goal is to take, you know, that experience and, and, and those relationships that I've established with so many of you and to kind of help connect those dots. Um, we're going to bring in a director of African-American media very soon. Um, I'm very excited about that and look forward to working with that person. But it's the, the goal is really just to strengthen the connection. So like, for instance, you know, when we invited Black media um, or, or community media to, to cover like the, the March in Washington meeting. So, you know, a part of that is the civil rights leaders first have to come and be invited to attend in order to for community media to have something to cover. Uh, so that the, the, those invitations flow through my house. Yeah. I, I was going to ask you a little bit, you know, you are all obviously as a coalition of black and brown media, although we are black owned and black centered right. in our approach. And we believe it is possible to not be black and still be black centered in your approach, right? That's, that's what we stand for. Are you seeing more coalition building across ethnic media? Are you seeing, I mean, I, and relate that of course, to the narrative that you'll be working on of community engagement and, and, and the same coalition building. I think so. Um, you know, I talked to many of my predecessors um, and, you know, oftentimes they'll say like, you have far more opportunity and, and, and reach as it pertains to like who you can engage with than many of them had before. And I think that, and I'm sure that's also due to like the rise of social media and it, there's traditional journalism and then there's there's the Twitter journalists, um, but they all, they all have reach and access. So we try to, we try to communicate with them all. And I think that coupled with the way that they have or you all have been made a priority in this White House has made for some really exciting partnerships and has also made allowed for us to get information out there in a way that maybe we haven't never seen before. I think of our Juneteenth event. 
when we had, when we invited so many folks to come to the White House and we were able to give them advance notice because oftentimes, you know, that's something that we're working on internally. We, we gave them notice, they came here and the coverage was tremendous. And, and we weren't just talking about a performative event. We were talking about the the issues and, and, and the policies that, that have been put into place over the last two years and, and, and him making Juneteenth a holiday being kind of a, a representation of him making these issues a priority. Yeah, I think that's a powerful example. I have to ask you about the year coming up. So when we covered the midterm elections, I'm really proud that we did not predict a red wave. Most of our partners and their communities were actually asking really basic questions about how to vote, the safety of going to the polls. I'm anticipating some of that for the year to come, but I'm just wondering if there's any themes um, that you all are going to be paying attention to as we're as we're getting closer to 2024, knowing that you all are on the administration side, not the political side, but that the climate is one where if you're black or brown, um, it's a very different climate than we were in three years ago when when we launched, for example. Absolutely. I mean, we will we will acknowledge the Hatch Act, and I will not talk about the campaign. Um, but what I will say is the president is going to continue to be as consistent as he was from day one in the way that he approaches race in the various ex- executive orders that he has signed and, and will continue to do when, when we see the need. I think the president has been very outspoken on issues as it pertains to affirmative action, as it pertains to history in schools, um, or as it pertains to just like the day-to-day kitchen table issues, starting from COVID relief, like we know oftentimes when uh, the country gets a cold, they say Black people get the flu. And when he came into office, we saw the, the gap in vaccinations change tremendously. And, and, and he, he turned that pandemic around. And in addition to turning that pandemic around, he made sure that funding was allocated equitably. So HBCUs saw more money than they've ever seen in history. We saw child tax credits that hit communities of color um, and everything that he does, like I said, there there is a, a requirement that folks view it in a lens of equity. So everything that we talk about, everything we do, there has a component um, where communities of color are prioritized, included, and where we can hopefully, you know, pinpoint how exactly this benefits specific communities of interest. That's happening this year, it happened last year, it's going to happen next year, election or not. I, I really am very sincere in saying that I have felt this shift. I know, I know it might on your end feel like it's been a trickle, but for us, it's just been the beginning of a revolutionary way of covering Washington. And so, you know, as we're, as we're approaching, um, 2024, it's something that our members are really hungry for. And then to the extent that you think media is not just covering the coalition building that you're talking about, but a part of it. And so, um, so we do see ourselves as a part of the solution. And so I'm I'm really, really grateful to you for your partnership on that. Well, we are going to continue to partner. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting us as we do our best to support our community. We couldn't do it without you. For more stories like this, make sure to subscribe to our newsletter at epicenter-nyc.com. Our intro music is All the Pretty Horses by Caravica. You can find more of their music on their website, linked to in our podcast description.